Psalm chapter 73 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you turn there, I want to bring you my greetings from your sister church, Harvest North Indianapolis. Uh, we're about, as I found out this morning, about an hour away. Somehow I was thinking 30 minutes. And uh, I know exactly where that park that Larry was talking about, because as I came out here this morning, I kept on driving until I came to the town of, I think it's Liston. I'm like, maybe I've gone too far. And uh, turned around and came back and, and was at least glad to be here before we started. Psalm chapter 73, um, it's great to be in a family of churches that believe in proclaiming God's Word. Isn't that true? It's, uh, it's good to be in a place where we're going to lift up God's Word and proclaim that it is the truth and that we need to get underneath that and that we need to live our lives according to it. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, looking at Psalm chapter 73. After you've turned there, would you uh, join me in prayer? And let's give our time to the Lord. Father, thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here at Harvest Indy West, and Lord, to see all that you're doing, and uh, Lord, it is awesome to see what you're doing, and, and Lord, it is all for your glory. It's all for your honor, Lord, that you may be exalted in this place, uh, Lord, that people may come to know Christ Jesus because they have spent time here, and Lord, this morning, would you speak to us through your word? Would your Holy Spirit guide us into the truth? Lord, would you teach us what you would have us to know? so that we may be more like you, that we may please you. So God, today I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the cross of Christ. Lord, we love you. In your name, amen. Psalm chapter 73, and I get the opportunity to share with you, and I want to thank your pastor, Doug. Uh, I'm so thankful for the Helmers and just the opportunity to be in ministry with them and partner with them in this proclamation of the gospel, and it really is a high privilege for me to be here. Um, I have to tell you, though, I think that the whole issue of perspective is one that we're really facing in our culture, and, and, and how we see stuff really does matter. Let me give you an example. Uh, before I came to church work, I spent seven years as a high school teacher, Bible teacher, and pastor on campuses, and one of the things that really struck me was this. I've always looked older than I actually am. Now, we've tried to hide that fact, okay, but my students have always had this idea that I'm older than I am, so, so every once in a while, you know, one of them makes a quip, you know, quip remark about, you know, how are you doing in your 40s? I'm like, thanks a lot. I'm in my late 20s, okay, back then, all right? Uh, and I'm like, you know what? Whatever you just thought my age was, that's going to be your grade for the semester, all right? So uh, there was this good give and take, and it was all good and fun until I decided to take a group of high school kids on a leadership retreat. And we took our SALT team, uh, whitewater rafting, and then we came back and we went to King's Dominion, which is like the Virginia version of King's Island. And so as we're getting ready to leave the park that day, it's been a great day. Nobody's made any comments about my my height or weight or age, okay? And we get all the way, and we're walking out of the park with the whole group, and we pass the guess your weight age booth. And they're like, hey, Mr. White, why don't you have them guess your weight? And they're like all chuckling. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. There's nothing about having my weight shot up on this gigantic scale for the entire park to see that is even remotely attractive to me. I said, but, you know what, I probably could get the stuffed animal if we did the guess your age thing. I said, so if you guys come up with the money, we'll do this. And they have, like, small animals and medium animals and big animals. And depending on how far they miss, that's what animal you get. So they have you stand underneath this screen, and, and the guy asks you a couple questions, and then he punches in a number on a keypad, and it comes up on the screen what age he thinks you are. So we go through this whole process, and, of course, all the teenagers are like, man, we're just waiting. This is going to be so awesome. All right? And we get all the way to that point, and he punches the numbers in, and the kids just lose it. And I think he's actually guessed my age. And I'm like, what did he pick? What did he pick? And I was 24 when we did this. He chose 47. I'm like, 
what is the matter with you? He's like, you can just choose from the big animals. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm going to beat you with the big animal. Good grief. I, and here's the whole thing. Uh, one of the things is, sometimes when we look at something in perspective, it can be totally different from what it actually is. Do you agree with that? Like, sometimes we look at something, we're like, this is what I observe, and it's totally not what's actually true. And I, and I think that's something that we're facing today as Christians in this, that sometimes we look at what's going on around us, and we get totally on a horizontal perspective. We get totally on what we see, and that's all that matters to us. And it begins to change spiritually where we are and how we relate to the truth. And so one of the things we've been talking about as a church over the summer months is, is how do we look up? How, how do we have a vertical reality? How, how do we get on God's plan? Because, you know, several times in the Scripture it talks about that, right? Paul says, keep your eyes not on the things that are seen, horizontal, but on the things that are what? Unseen, unseen the things that are really vertical. How, how do we get our attention on God and not man? How do, we, how do we get our attention on things that God wants us to do and not necessarily what we want to do? And I think there is a power in, in vertical living, but it really, really comes back to, do you have a vertical perspective? Do you have a perspective that is vertical? Look at Psalm chapter 73, and I want to go verse by verse through this passage with you this morning, because I think this really matters when we begin to compare ourselves. How can we be faithful in a comparing world? How, how can we be faithful to the things that God calls us to when we are constantly comparing ourselves to the things around us? Look at Psalm 73, starting in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Let's just start with this. What's the heart of the issue? Why is vertical perspective so necessary? Look at verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel. Surely God is good. What does that mean? Well, the word good there would mean this. God is morally upright. He is a giver of welfare. Continue to look in the verse. He is good to Israel, to those who are, what's the word there? To those who are pure in heart. Okay, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Pure in heart means those who are morally clean, those who are faithful. Remember back in the Old Testament, they struggled with this several times. And, and one of the passages that we would come to is in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, God says this, Look, I don't desire your sacrifices. I don't desire those things that make you ritually clean. I don't desire those things, but what I do desire is steadfast love and mercy. In Isaiah chapter 1, he clarifies it and says this. Look, I don't, I, don't want your, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your multiplied prayers. I don't want your, your offerings that you're giving. And they had to have, like, as they're reading through that, they had to stop and be like, wait a minute. These are all the things that you ask us to do. And God says, look, all that stuff means nothing to me. What I want is your heart. Look at this text. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. There is a general expectation, believers, that, that if we are good and pure in heart, that God would be good to us. Is that correct? Okay, we kind of have that. Okay, God, like I'm on your plan. Okay, and so therefore, there's a general understanding that, that you would be good in return. Now, why is vertical perspective so important? Because God is looking for the faithful. God's looking for the pure in heart. See, this is a truth. Truly, God is good to Israel. That is the truth. Would you agree? Truly, God is good to those who are pure in heart. But now consider the next thing. Why is having a, ver a vertical perspective so difficult? Look at verse 3. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. How many of you have ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever like, looked around and you're like, you know what, I think I'm getting a raw deal. Like I'm looking at the fact that I'm serving the Lord and I'm going through all these hardships, and so-and-so over here has no knowledge of God. They just want to live however they want to live, and it doesn't seem like they have any problems. 
Okay, for us, I just want to share a little bit of our family story with you. And some of you that had visited with us at North Indy know this. My wife and I, we, we've been married for a little over 10 years. And, and for the first several years of our marriage, when, when we decided, of course, we're like every other Christian couple, we're going to get married, and then, and then we're going to wait uh, two years and however many months, and we're going to have kids, we're going to have this many kids, and, and this was our plan, and we're serving God, and so he's going to let it happen. And, you know, one of the things was this. God said, that's not my plan. And we struggled with the issue of infertility for several years. Okay, and some of you may even be in here, and you may be in the midst of that struggle right now. But one of the things that really struck me in that time was this. You know, God, why is it that we're in ministry, we're doing all the things that you want us to do, we have a good, strong marriage based on God's truth, and you know what, why are you holding out? And yet I go to the mall, and I see 12 and 13-year-olds you know, who, who are involved in sin, who are involved in immorality, and they have children. Can you explain that to me? Because I really don't understand that. And here's the thing. Some of us, when we see the prosperity of the wicked, when we, see, when we see what's going on with those who do not serve God, it's very easy to become horizontal. Do you agree with that? It's very easy to start looking around and saying, wait a minute, what's going on with them and, and compared to what's going on with me? Now, what is the cost of that? And here's the thing. Uh, as I was preparing the PowerPoint, look at the PowerPoint for a second. Okay, why is having a vertical perspective so difficult? Now, look at the next one. Here's what it says. Why is the cost of not having, it should say this. Go ahead and hit to the next thing. Okay, what is the cost of not having a vertical perspective? Okay, you guys with me? What's the cost of it? Now, look, here it is. Here's the truth. Truly, God is good to those who are pure in heart. But I really struggle when I saw the arrogant. Now, look at verse 2. What's the cost of this if we can't get our eyes right? Look at verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Hey, look, there's a choice here. There's a choice here. There's a choice to have our eyes turned to the vertical or to stay on the horizontal. And here's what it says. Asaph, who was in charge of the worship in the temple, what he says is this. Look, when I look around God and I see everything that everybody else is doing, and I, but I know you're supposed to be good to those who are pure in heart, and I'm trying to be good, and I'm trying to be pure in heart, but, but, but God, I see, I see they're not trying, and, and it looks like they've got it pretty good. And what Asaph says is this, what I know to be the truth and what I observe don't seem to match. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you? Sometimes you're like, wait a minute, my life doesn't seem to match what the scripture says. Like I'm doing all the things God you're asking me to do, but it doesn't just seem to happen for me. Okay, now look at this. Why is it so important? But as for me, verse 2, my feet had almost stumbled. Get this. If you choose to live in the horizontal, you will stumble. You will stumble, and you will take yourself out of the path of verse 1. Who is God good to? What does it say? Truly God is good to those who are pure in heart, to those who are faithful, to those who are steadfast in their relationship with God, in that covenant relationship with the Lord. So I want you to understand this. It doesn't matter how you see the horizontal. God says, I will be good to those who are pure in heart. That is the truth. And you're like, well, wait a minute, God, I don't see that. Okay, let's just continue to look. Here's the deal. We have to get back to understanding what are the cost? What are the characteristics and the cost of a wrong perspective? How do I know when I have wrong perspective? Like, how do I know that, that I'm really not seeing it right? Okay, because if you're like me, I feel like I always see it right. Okay, Laura and I have a running joke. I'm allowed to be wrong at least one time per year, and I get to choose when that is. All right? And some of you may be the same way. Laura laughs at that, and she's like, you know what? It happens multiple times when you're in the car, and you just don't even realize that. Okay, like with directions, like driving all the way to Liston instead of stopping where we're supposed to turn. Okay, so here's the thing. If we can choose to live on the horizontal or we can choose to get vertical, and we have to understand what are the costs of that and how do I live in the right perspective. So here's the thing. Here's the main thought I want you to get today. Okay, God, I want to remain faithful to you. 
Here's my personal desire. God, above all things, in the vertical and in the horizontal, here's what I want. Here's what I want in my heart. God, I want to be faithful to you. You have promised that you will be good and true and steadfast, but I want to be faithful. God, I want to live in the vertical. I want to be where you ask me to be. But God, I'm really struggling with that. So we ask ourselves, what are the characteristics and the cost of wrong perspective? Well, here's, here's the first thing I want to share with you. To be faithful, and I've listed these personally, to be faithful, I must identify the characteristics and the cost of wrong perspective. I must be able to know when I'm in wrong perspective. In order for me to be faithful, I have to understand where I'm at. I have to understand where I'm at. Look at verse 4. Now, Asaph, this is his description of the wicked. He says this, For they have no pangs until death. This is talking about the wicked that are listed in verse 3. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Look, I'm not real certain how those words go together, okay? Uh, I haven't really figured out how that works, okay? But, but it's there, okay? Um, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. That's another good one. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people, God's people, turn back, turn back to them and they find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are wicked. They are always at ease and they increase in riches. All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak this, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Let me give you four characteristics of wrong perspective from the text. Here's the first one. Wrong perspective is always based on externals. Wrong perspective is always based on externals. Look in the text. Look at verse 4. For they have no pangs until death. Their life is not painful. Verse 5 says they're not going to toil like everybody else. Okay, They're not in trouble like everybody else. In verse 5, it also says, look, they're not punished. Look at, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Here's the thing. Verse 12 says this. Behold, these are the wicked, and they are always at ease. They exceed in riches, verse 12. They increase in these riches. Here's the thing. A wrong perspective is always going to be based on externals. When I look at their situation and I see, look, it doesn't seem like they have any pangs until death. It doesn't seem like they're stricken at all. It seems like they always have plenty of riches coming out their ears. Like, like God, what's going on? And here, let me tell you something. Wrong perspective is always based on externals. It's always based on what we're seeing on the horizontal. Okay? And that helps us understand, look, one of the things is if I get stuck with just what I see, I could be betrayed. But let me lead you to the second one. Okay, the first one is it's always based on externals. Okay, he also says this. Look in verse 6, just before we go to that next point. He says, look, these guys are wicked. Look at verse 6. Therefore, pride is their necklace. What does that mean? What does that mean? Look, I don't wear a necklace. Okay, I, I, I don't think I've ever worn one. Okay, but, but I, my wife has necklaces, and one of the things is this. Why do, why, do, why do women wear necklaces? Help me with that, ladies. Okay, I want everybody to see it, right? Okay, it's, it's an, it's, I've learned this word. It's an accessory. Okay? And, and it's meant to help. It's meant to bring attention. Here's the thing. So understand what he's saying. Verse 6. Therefore, their pride is the thing that they want you to notice. This is the thing that they're wearing right out on the front. Okay? They want you to understand this is where they're at. Their pride is their necklace. Continue to look. Violence covers them. Verse 6. And then look in verse 7 through 11. Look, they scoff and they speak with malice. They threaten oppression. 
They set their mouths against the heavens. What does that mean? It means literally they're scoffing at God. Okay, look over in verse 11. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? And here's what, look, here's what Asaph is saying. It doesn't seem like they have any pangs until death. It seems like they're increasing in all their riches. It doesn't seem to be that they're stricken at all. That's what I'm observing. But I'm also observing that they're wicked. I'm observing that their pride is their necklace. I'm observing that they're scoffing at God. Do you see where he wouldn't see that that would match up? Do you see where, where that would be a problem for him? He's saying, God, what I know to be true, verse 1, and what I see doesn't match. Look, wrong perspective is always based on externals. Secondly, wrong perspective will lead us to distort reality. Look at verse 4 and 5 again. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. Okay. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them. Okay. They are not, look at verse 5. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. One of the things that he says here is this. Here just the thing. This is the exaggeration. Look, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're never in trouble. They're always at ease. And I will tell you this. Wrong perspective, why it's based on externals, it will lead us to distort reality. Is it possible that anybody goes through life and doesn't have the pangs of pain? Is it possible? Does anybody walk through this life and they are untouched by pain? Is anybody in this life always at ease? Do you see what's happening? Do you see the exaggeration in his voice? Look, I'm looking at them, and it doesn't seem like they have any pain. It doesn't seem like they're, they're ever having any hardships. Okay? It'll lead us to distort reality for certain. Uh, have you ever been around that person that, that, that just, they're constantly like, distorting reality? Like, oh, woe is me. My life is so horrible. Okay? My grandmother used to have a, a term for this. Whenever I would like, complain around my, my mom's mom, she would, she would take about this much of it. Okay? Like I'd complain, like, first thing in the morning, like I get up, like, oh, it's too early. Well, why don't you go out in the backyard and eat worms? I'm like, hey, take it easy. I just got up, all right? <laughs> okay, and, and her whole thing was, you know, you've been around people like that that are constantly complaining, haven't you? Okay, and they're always exaggerating. Oh, my life is so horrible. Everything has gone wrong today. Well, you got up this morning. I mean, so, like, you actually have life. So that seems like a good point to bring out. Okay, but we've been around people like this, haven't we? Look at the text. Okay, wrong perspective is based on externals. Wrong perspective leads us to exaggerate. Here's a third thing I want you to get. Look at verse 5 and 6. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Do you see the language that's written here? It begins to be this. Wrong perspective leads us to a false comparison. Look at the text, verse 5. They are not in trouble as others are. Now, who does he mean by that? Who are the others? Yeah, it means him. Yeah, it means him. Okay, here's literally the way I could read. Okay, uh, they don't seem to have any pain. Then in verse 5, they're not in trouble like what? Like I am. That's right. Okay, they're not in trouble like I am. They're not in trouble like others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Now, how could we word that? Like me, right? Okay, and here's the thing. When we have wrong perspective, and it's always based on the horizontal things that we observe, Okay, it leads us to distort reality. We start to exaggerate things, and then it becomes very personal. For instance, okay, as we struggle through those years of infertility, one of the things that we did is when we would go out to eat, we'd go out, we would see different people who had kids. And we would see, I guarantee you, during that two years of our life, almost three years of our life, we saw every bad parent that exists on the earth. They all visited Norfolk, Virginia at the same time. Okay, and we would observe these people, and they're like horrible parents. And you're like, God, what is the deal? Like, why would you give multiple children to them, and they are squandering their opportunity, and yet you're holding out on us? 
Here's the deal. God's not holding out on us. Look, God's not holding out on us. He says his timing is perfect. He says his will is perfect. And I'll tell you, one of the things that really struck me was this. When we finally began to see some spiritual growth in our own lives through that, is when we got to the point that we were willing to say, God, whatever your plan is, that's not good. That's not okay. It's perfect. And so I remember coming to the point to say, look, God, if you never give us children, it's not okay. It's not good. It's perfect. But one of the things I had to get over here was the wrong perspective that I'm going to compare one of the interesting things about our story, and some of you know our children, we have four kids. Hey, Karis is five. Okay, we were able to adopt our beautiful daughter Jocelyn when she was born. She's two and a half. And then out of nowhere, God blessed us with twin boys, Samuel and Nathan. They're both one and a half. So we have four kids under the age of five. I will have no hair left by Christmas time. Okay? And I can say this, look, God has completely blessed us. Well, one of the interesting things about this is, 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 and I shared this with you a minute ago, we'd go to the mall and we'd see, you know, we'd see 14, 15-year-old girls who were living in immorality who were able to have children. And that was like one of our comparisons. Like, wait a minute, God, here we are serving you, and yet you won't give us this thing that we are so desperate for, but you'll give it to her. Do you see that's a false comparison? My life has nothing to do with hers. Is that true? As I walk through life, my life has nothing to do with hers. Okay. My life has everything to do with my relationship with my God. It has everything to do with the relationship. And remember, remember with Cain and Abel? Do you remember what God said to Cain? The, the, the problem isn't that I'm comparing you to Abel. The problem is your sacrifice isn't what I asked for. It has nothing to do with him. Okay. And that is where the sin was, right? There was a false comparison on Cain's part. And here's the thing. Wrong perspective leads us to distort reality and then to make it personal. God, are you holding out on me? One of the blessings of our story is this. Our daughter Jocelyn was born to a 15-year-old girl who got pregnant through immorality. And God said, you know what, I'm going to take the very thing that you will take as a comparison, and I'm going to show my glory through it. And you will never look at that daughter run down the hallway again without knowing that I am good and your comparisons don't matter. Can I just say this? Look, wrong perspective will lead you to distort reality, and it'll make it personal. Okay? It'll get really personal. You still with me? Are you with me? Okay, here's a fourth thing. Wrong perspective will lead us to a victim mentality. The minute it becomes personal, then it becomes, you're going to become the victim. Here you go, look in the text. Look in verse 11. Verse 11 says this, And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. They're always at ease. They increase in riches. Now look at verse 12, excuse me, verse 13. All in vain I have kept my heart clean. I've washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and I've been rebuked every morning. Look, wrong perspective is going to lead you to a victim mentality. What he literally is saying is this. Woe is me. Everything I've been doing, everything I've been doing to stay faithful, Lord, it doesn't count. Look at the text. Look at verse 14. For all the day long, do you see the exaggeration again? For all the day long I have been stricken. I've been rebuked every morning. Do you see that when we begin to make it personal, then it becomes like, God, not only are you holding out on me, it's like you're rebuking me. Okay. Just so that you see the comparison language again, like go back to verse 5 for a second. They are not in trouble as others are. Okay, now compare that to verse 16. But when I understand how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. Here's the thing. The word trouble in verse 5 and the word wearisome in verse 16 are the exact same Hebrew word. And literally the saying is this, they don't have any trouble, but I do. 
Okay. Again, we see it in verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Now look at verse 14. For all the day long I have been, what? Stricken. Okay. So you see the comparison again? Do you see where it's going? Okay, here's the thing. I, I observe this. I, everything's horizontal. I'm basing it on my observations. And it's leading me to distort reality. And it's, it's, it's bringing me into a false comparison between me and you. And, and it's not between me and you. It's between me and him. Okay. And what it leads me to is this victim mentality. You know what? You might be sitting here. Some of you are like, you're right with me. And some of you are like, you know what? I have no clue what you're talking about. Some of you might be sitting here this morning, and this is totally where you're at. You're like, you know what? God and I have been having this wrestling match for a long time, and I really feel like he's holding out on me. I really feel like, like, like I am rebuked every morning. Like, be careful. Be careful because wrong perspective is based on externals. And it will lead you to the victim mentality. Well, what are the costs of this? Like, what does it cost you if you want to stay here? Because quite frankly, if you want to stay here, you can. Right? And we have people all around us that choose to stay here. Well, I'm just going to go on what I see, and I'm going, to, I'm going to live that way. I'm a smart person. I seem to have gotten it. Okay? Well, what is it going to cost you if you do that? Here's the first cost. Wrong perspective can cause us to doubt God's character. Look back at verse 7 through 11. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. And loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, as people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Here's the thing. Wrong perspective can cause you to doubt God's character. What literally Asaph is saying is this. I know what your character is. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this. For the wrath of God is going to be revealed against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. Here's what that literally is saying. To every single person who would say, look, here's the truth of God. I'm going to push that down and I'm going to walk my way. What God says is, I will reveal my wrath. I will reveal that against all of that ungodliness. And what Asaph is literally saying is this. Look, God, if that's true, if that's who your character is, here's a prime group. They're walking through the earth. I love the language that he used there. They're strutting through the earth with their tongues. And they're, look, they're looking at you and saying, look, who are you, God? Are you the most high? Where's your knowledge? They're scoffing at God. And one of the things that Asaph is saying is, look, based on my perspective, I'm beginning to really struggle with who your character is. Because you're saying, look, every time that happens, I'm going to reveal my wrath against that. But I don't see it, God. Look, if you choose to stay in the wrong perspective, one of the costs is you're going to struggle with God's character. God, why don't I see it right now? Just to show you this. Um, I think one of the things we really struggle with in our culture today is the whole God is love and God is only love theory. Like, well, well God's a loving God. He would never allow that. Okay, here's what the scripture says. God is a God of love and he is a God of mercy and grace. And we can never, ever take those things down. But at the same time, in our culture today, we've stopped talking about the fact that God is justice and God is wrath. And God is righteousness, right? And here's the thing. If I choose to stay in wrong perspective, what I'll find is I will in turn create God in my own box. And I will begin to look at God's character and say, wait a minute, it doesn't seem to match. What you reveal to me and what I see doesn't seem to match. Is that the truth sometimes? That what we see doesn't match what, God, what it seems like we know of God? Yeah, sometimes that's the case because God's timing is different than ours. Okay, but one of the costs is this. Wrong perspective can cause us to doubt God's character. Write this down, would you? Would you write this down? God's sovereignty and power do not change based on you. God's sovereignty and his power do not change based on you. And so therefore, it could be this. God's sovereignty and power do not change for anybody else. Okay. God's character is firm. It is solid. It is who he says he is. 
even when you don't seem to make it match with what you see. Now, I have to say this. We didn't have enough room in the notes. Okay, I have a whole other 45 minutes to preach, so just hang on. Okay? You're like, oh, my goodness. No, 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 really, I'm not going to go that long, but there is a whole second part here because I don't want you just to understand the cost and the characteristics. There is a second cost that I want you to get. You ready for it? Okay, and you can write this in. Here's the second cost. Wrong perspective can lead us spiritually, leave us spiritually confused and exhausted. Look at verse 14. Verse 13, all in vain I've kept my heart clean. I've washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken. I've been rebuked every morning. Now look at verse 15. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Let me stop for a second. Underline that in your Bible because I want you to get that. If we choose to live in wrong perspective, it's not just, it's not just ourselves that are going to be affected by that. What does he say in the text? I would have betrayed who? I would have betrayed the next generation. Understand this. Our choice to live in the, in, the, in the horizontal perspective or the vertical perspective has everything to do with the next generation, has everything to do with who we show our children God is, has everything to do, our relationship with God resonates to them, and even so, our lack of relationship with God resonates to them. Okay, look at verse 15. If I had said I will speak this, I would have betrayed the generation of your children, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Look, if you choose to live in wrong perspective, one of the costs is you're going to be spiritually confused. You're going to be exhausted. I can't think of any greater way to get exhausted than to try to get God in your box. Okay? Agreed? Okay. And what, what you'll find is this. When I begin to doubt God's character, when I see God, this is what I know your character to be, but I don't see that played out. And then we start trying to fit that in our box. One of the things is this. You will be confused because you are not infinite. You are not eternal. You are not sovereign, and he is. Okay. So there are several characteristics of wrong perspective. It's external. It distorts reality. It makes us the victim because we get in false comparisons. And if we stay there, we'll begin to doubt God's character, and we will be spiritually confused and exhausted. But how about this? While I must know the characteristics, how about this? If, if I'm going to remain faithful, then I, I must choose to live in the realities of right perspective. Look in the text. The entire text hinges on verse 17. It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now, what does that mean? Until I walked into who your presence actually is. I love this in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. The, robe of his, the, 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 the train of his robe filled the temple, and there were angels calling back, Holy, holy, holy. Do you guys remember that passage? And here's the deal. What Isaiah finds is not his view of God. Isaiah finds who God really is. And see, he's invited into the sanctuary. And Isaiah's like this. Look, when I saw you, I saw that you were high and exalted, lifted up. Why does that matter? Because that means that's not who we are. Okay, and here's the thing. When we see God for who he really is, we'll begin to see ourselves for who we are. What did Isaiah do in that passage? Do you remember that passage? For, for lack of time, we won't go there, but I'll say this. Look, when he sees God on the throne, his reaction is what? Anybody remember? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he falls on his face, and he says, look, I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Here's the thing. When we will begin to see God for who he really is, we will begin to see ourselves for who we really are, and we will crave that forgiveness that only he can give. Okay, but here's what happens. Look in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Here's my perspective. Here's how the wrong perspective's going. All that's going on right now, until... I went into the sanctuary of God. So I want you to understand this. There has to be a turning point. There has to be an until. 
There has to be a point that says, look, God, I can choose to live here on the horizontal, but I'm going to choose to get on the vertical. I'm going to choose to walk in your sanctuary and let you totally change all of it. God, take my eyes. Jonathan Edwards said this one time. He wrote in his journal, God, would you write eternity on my eyeballs? I love that. That's like one of the greatest quotes I can think of. Write eternity on my God, I want to see this world the way you see it. I want to see people the way you see them. And I don't logically do that because I'm stuck on the horizontal. God, I need, there has to be a point when I say, look, I want you to change my perspective to the vertical. I want you to get my eyes up. I want you to get me to look up. And here's what happens. Here are the realities. Here are the realities of right perspective. The first reality I would give you is this. Right perspective is discerned when we truly experience God. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. Okay, note the difference here. Look at verse 17. Then I discerned their end. Okay, look back at verse 3. I want you to see this. There's a comparison here. Back at verse 3. For when I was envious of the arrogant, when I... What's the next word? Do you have that? Verse 3. For when I saw the, the prosperity of the wicked. Do you see that? Here's the thing. There's a difference between seeing and discerning. There's a difference between what I see and what I discern to be the truth. The scripture talks about it in Philippians chapter 1. It says, my prayer is this, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you would be able to discern what is best, to be pure and blameless to the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, to the glory and praise of God the Father. And here's what that verse would read. If I want to live for the glory and praise of God the Father, I have to be filled with the fruits of righteousness that are in Christ Jesus. And in order to do that, I have to be able to discern what is best to be pure and blameless. See, God wants us to discern. And here's our choice. We can either live in what we see or we can live in what's discerned. And right perspective is discerned when we truly experience God. When was the last time you truly experienced God? When was the last time you walked into his presence? Was it this morning? Was it this morning before you came to church? Was it during worship? When was the last time you walked into the presence of God? And you said, God, I need to know you for who you really are. Not who I want you to be. I need to know you for who you really are. And I need you to change who I view myself to be in that. God gives us the opportunity. Can I just, can I just challenge you? God says, look, my loving child, if you are a child of his, he, he is challenging you. He's throwing open the doors of the throne room, and he's saying, come. Come crawl up on my lap, and let me show you who I am. See, God wants us to experience who it is. He wants us to discern. He wants us in the vertical. Right perspective is discerned when we truly experience God. Now look at the next thing. Verse 18 through 20 says this, Truly you set them in slippery places. Now this is discerned truth. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. By the way, who are they? Help me with that. The wicked, right? Okay, he's comparing. Okay, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Here it is. The word truly there at the beginning, truly you said them, this is reality. doesn't matter what I saw before. This is the reality. I'm discerning the truth. And truly, God, you are going to set them in slippery places. You will make them fall to ruin. The fact is what you said in verse 1 is absolutely correct. You are good to those who are pure in heart. And you will punish the ones who will walk in unrighteousness. That is the truth. Truly, you will set them in slippery places. Note the order of the relationship in the language. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin, how they are distorted in a moment. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself. You just, do you see his, his perspective is not horizontal anymore? Who's he focusing on? I'm focusing on God. And here's the thing. I'm not worried about what they're doing. I'm not worried about what they have. I'm not worried about what I don't have. I'm worried about who you are. And God, the truth is, when you choose to, 
You're going to reveal yourself to be perfectly true in your character, and you will set them on slippery places. Look, like I said before, I believe that God's will is perfect. It's not good. It's not okay. It's not just let's get by. It's perfect. And here's the thing. God allowed us to have children in his perfect timing. He allowed it in his perfect timing by his perfect plan. And I can tell you, every single one of our children have a testimony of God's greatness and the miraculous power of who he is. And they can walk through life. Look, if they just kind of come the way we wanted them, you know, in our timing, they wouldn't have that. But every single one of our kids, for the rest of their life, they can walk through and say, look, I am a gift of the sovereignty and the power of God. And I live for the purpose of God's glory. Every single one of them can tell that because it was in God's timing. And it was by his purpose. Look, listen to me. One of the things is this, you will be able to discern when you walk into God's sanctuary, when we get the perspective vertical, you will be able to see God for who he is, and you'll begin to see that he is really true in his character. Look, right perspective leads us to a correct understanding of God's character. Truly, God, these are the things that you're doing. Here's a third thing I want us to see, verse 21 through 23. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Here's another way that could read. I was like a dumb animal. Okay, how would you like to go through life with this printer on your chest? Dumb animal. Okay, like I was at the state fair this last week, okay, and I got a renewed vision of what that is. Okay, like I don't want to walk through life with dumb animal on my chest. Okay, but now look at the text. Okay, I was brutish, verse 22, I was brutish and ignorant, and I was like a beast toward you. Okay, nevertheless, I am continually with you, and you hold my right hand. See, right perspective, not only will it lead us to a correct understanding of God's character, truly this is the reality, this is who you are. But verse 21 through 23 help us to understand this. Right perspective will lead us to correct understanding of who we are. Verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. God, you did not change. I did. That's what comes when we see God for who he is. Why is it that people walk through life and they never repent? Well, one of the questions that I have for us as a church is this. Are we painting God for who he really is? Because when we paint God for who he really is, when they experience who God really is, they will see themselves for who they are. Okay? Like a brute, like, a, like, a, like I was arrogant, I was ignorant, like a beast toward you. Here's the fourth thing, right perspective. While it leads us to a correct understanding of God, correct understanding of ourselves. This is the good one. It will lead us to correct understanding of our relationship with God. Look at verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, here's the thing. Right perspective. If God will change your perspective, you'll begin to understand the relationship that he wants with you. Look at the text. What's the relationship look like? Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Our relationship is continual. You hold my right hand. Here's how I would describe that to you. We have a rule in our family, and it's this. Okay? Whenever we're in a parking lot, Karis has to hold my hand. And I've just decided as a dad, I'm going to keep that rule in place until she's 25. Okay? All right, you just hold my hand, and that, that way everybody knows you belong to daddy, and that's just how it's going to be. All right? And uh, we decided that we're going to let her date at 41, and, uh, and, and, and we just decided this is how it's going to be. Why, why do I do that? Why with my children do I hold their hand in the parking lot? It's fairly simple, right? I don't want them to get run over by a car. And here's the whole thing. I want to guide them. I want to protect them. And this is what God's doing. Look at the, look at the relationship. I'm continually with you. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. 
and afterward you will receive me to glory. The whole time earlier, he's simply looking at the now. What about the later? What about the later? See, I'm continually with you, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Do you see the perspective change? Do you see that? Look, I'm no longer looking at them. I'm no longer looking at what they have. I'm no longer trying to figure out why they are doing what they're doing or why you're not doing what you're doing in reference to them. It simply is this. Just between me and you, God, I realize that you are guiding me. You are giving me your counsel. And, and you, and, 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 and all honesty, God, when I come into who you really are, I see, look, none of that stuff matters. God, I want you. God, I want you. There's nothing on earth that is ever besides you. Can you say that this morning? Is that where you're at? You're like, you know what? I mean, I desperately want to know God. Look, I desperately want to be in a relationship with God. God simply says this, come into the sanctuary. Come into a relationship with me and let me guide you. Let me give you counsel. Let's build a relationship. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. Whom have I in heaven but you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Listen to me. Look at me. Here's what it says. Look, before I was looking at were they stricken, was their life troublesome? Look, and now I'm saying this. It doesn't matter if trouble comes to me. It doesn't matter if I am stricken. My heart and my flesh could both fail, and God, I will be with you. Do you see the difference in wrong perspective and right perspective? See, here's the deal. I must choose to live in this reality. I must enter the sanctuary of God and say, God, totally change it. Totally change it. I want to know who you are, and I want to be in that relationship with you. But there's one last thing I would tell you is that right perspective will leave you with a changed heart and a discerning mind. Look at the text. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. He comes back to what he started with. I understand, God, that you're good to the faithful. You put an end to the, everyone who is unfaithful to you. Now look at verse 28. Underline this in your Bible. But for me it is good to be near God. Why? Because he changes my perspective. I understand who he is. I understand who I am. I understand the relationship we have. And, and God gives me a discerning heart to say, look, I desire nothing besides you. But for me it is good to be near God. And I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Do you remember what are the things it was going to cost him? He says, look, if I would have spoken of all this stuff in wrong perspective, I would have betrayed the next generation. You remember that? And what he's saying literally is now is this. Look, when I live in right perspective, I'm not only going to enjoy it, I'm not only going to be able to say, look, this is who I am. God, you, are, you have me all the time. I want nothing besides you. He says, I'm going to go to the next generation. I'm going to tell them. I want to make sure they understand that there's a difference between wrong perspective and right perspective. Hey, where are you this morning? Hey, where are you this morning? Are you struggling with what your neighbor has? Are you struggling with the life that so-and-so has? Are you struggling with the prosperity of the wicked? Are you struggling with this? You know, I can't honestly say this morning, for some of us it may be this. Some of us it may be, look, I can't honestly say, I have nothing on earth besides him. Hey, look, when was the last time you went into the sanctuary of God? When was the last time you went into relationship with him? And some of you may be sitting here, you're like, you know what, I've never, I've never entered a relationship with him. And you're trapped on the horizontal. Can I invite you this morning? God invites you to the vertical. God invites you to the life that says, look, I will guide you. I will give you counsel. I will tell you the truth. And afterward, I will take you to glory. Hey, where are you, Christian? Where are you with your perspective? Is it all horizontal? Because it's going to cost you something. Or is it vertical? Let's pray together. Before I pray, as you sit there with your heads bowed, eyes closed, I would just say this. The entire passage hinges on these words. Until 
I went into the sanctuary of God. And this morning, if you're not a believer, God would invite you into a relationship with him. The scripture says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life, and the afterward is taken care of. But many of you sitting here listening to me today may be Christians. Where are you with your perspective? Are you trapped in the victim mentality? Are there false comparisons going on? Are you beginning to doubt God's character? God would say, look, that's all that that you're going to see until you walk into the sanctuary of God, until you understand who he is. And maybe this morning that's where you're at, and God would invite you in the quietness of your own heart right now to say, you know what, God, change my perspective. God, change my perspective. God, I want to know you. God, I want to be able to walk out of here saying, look, I desire nothing on earth besides you. And God would invite you to that truth this morning. And so if that's what God's doing in your heart, I would just really challenge you in your relationship with God, in your heart right now, to simply say to him, God, I want you to change my perspective. God, I want, you to, I want you to help me discern the truth, and I want to walk out of here different than when I came. Father, I love you. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. Lord, I'm thankful for Asaph and the fact that under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, Lord, he penned these words, um, Lord, that are so vulnerable, uh, that are so honest. And Lord, if we would get honest with one another, Lord, we've been here. Sometimes, Lord, we question what, what you're doing, where you're at. And, Lord, you invite us into your sanctuary. Lord, you do not hide yourself from us. Your scripture says that you have revealed yourself in what you have made. You revealed yourself in your word, and you revealed yourself in your son, Jesus. And, Lord, we want to be able to walk every day saying, I desire nothing besides you. And so, God, would you transform us? Would you allow our perspective to be changed by your word? Lord, would you give us the conviction to enter the sanctuary regularly to be changed? And God, I pray this morning, if there's somebody here who's never had their eternal perspective changed, that today would be the day that your Holy Spirit would call them to yourself, and Lord, they would come to know you, that they could walk out of here truly saying, look, I desire nothing besides God. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. In your name, amen. Well, let's stand together.